Welcome to the Reimagined Podcast, a podcast that seeks to reimagine faith and life in the community as we link, learn, and live together. I'm Greg English, along with Brad Hoffman and Brian Dupuy. Today, on episode 118, we talk about diffusing the issues that take Christian leaders down. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hello. Howdy. There you go. There we are. There's a little thing called the volume button. That's right. That's right. Mute, mute. What I love about it is you're Morning. always growing in your production I, You know, I am. Yes, yes. <laughs> Most this people is... would just say you're skipping the buttons, but I like to refer to it as you're growing in your roles. Yeah, oh, no, I, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I feel good. I feel good. Yeah. Nowhere to go but up here. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere to go but up. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, so yes. I got a thought here. Please. Good. And it kind of, it's going to go a little bit more to Brian than to you, Brad, but it's okay. We can, That's we, good. we can do this. I'll keep on doing what I'm doing. All here. right. All right. <laughs> so uh, we, yes. we've talked about uh, your use of, of recyclables or, yep. or mugs, mm-hmm. sustainability. Yep. Uh, there's a new book out yep. called The Carbon Almanac. And I need to say, I'm not here to promote that book or whatever. I'm talking about a learning that I have discovered. Yes. Uh, Seth Godin has kind of been the author of this and met with like 300 other people in 90 different countries and done a lot of research. Yeah. But uh, there's also now a web browser called Ecosia. Ecosia. Yes. Okay. And Ecosia. Yes. So it kind of follows the lines of um, down the Microsoft trail of Bing and then DuckDuckGo. Yeah. And now this, and it's, it's more privacy settings, you know, with it, different things of search stuff. Yeah. But every 43 searches on the 40, every 43rd one that you do a search on yeah. the browser. Yes. A tree is planted. Oh, okay. So it has this whole sustainability process to it. I mean, one of the things uh-huh. about the carbon almanac is they're looking at what is sustainable in terms of how does recycling really work? Let's talk about the right. amount of, of clothing that is this fast fashion industry that's mass produced. Yeah. That is lives the rest of its life on the beaches somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. a lot of that conversation. Yeah. So, and yes, it does. Like, <laughs> you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, how are they? How are they? I'm watching the countdown things. Like, how are they planning them this fast? Yeah. <laughs> That's how many people are on the search engine. So, uh, I'm not here to There's one, one guy who's planting, too. He's yeah. just, yeah, all day long. Yeah. So, I'm not here necessarily to promote he's, he's one playing. way or the other. Yes. But I found it very intriguing that here we're taking something that, that we use. We're trying to address... You yeah, know, sustainability out there. I know you're interested in it. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about switching my browser to it. I mean, yeah. if we're dropping a tree every 43 times, I look something up. Yes, and you don't even know what I looked up. How yeah. is it? A, how is it not a win? Yeah, that's a great carbon capture option. Is to have <laughs> trees planted, right? Yeah. Uh, now, is it 43 every 43 search that I do, or just in general, anybody using the platform? I, I'm not uh, sure on that. I just kind of got into this a little bit, but it's rolling. I mean, trees are dropping. Oh. oh. Yeah, yeah. The trees so. are, they're dropping pretty quick. Yeah, everywhere, yeah. all over the world. <laughs> yeah. Wow, how about that? Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. So uh, I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah, I like that. I so like that. It, I mean, you got to go on and, yeah. and look at it. if you pull up the, uh, the the website for the Carbon Almanac, you'll see there's a whole resource guide there that lists all the different ways in which which how does sustainability happen and yeah. and. You know, from agriculture to business to construction to facilities to legal resourcing to um, local uh, f- 
fashion to packaging designs. Yeah. And I even heard on, on a podcast the other day that they're looking at package designs out of shrimp shells, the hard shell of the shrimp. Yes. That they now can take that to build the package of it. And when you're done with it, it's biodegradable. You just put it into compost and it's over. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all this kind of thought to it, but they've taken yeah. like research from 90 different countries and yeah. the practices that happen, put it together. And I mean, he, he's kind of big into this thing or whatever, but the, I just thought the, yeah. the browser aspect was kind of interesting hmm. too. That is. And it's a, it's a smart thing because even if, uh, let's say that there is a crisis looming, um, the average person either does not or is not wired to care about something that's going to happen, you know, oh, that's 50 years from now. Okay. But, um, but, you know, very practical things that you could do yeah. uh, is, is a very helpful thing. Yeah. That's great. Now, only if Amazon would get on there and for every box delivered to your door. Well, they may, they may <laughs> they, come in a they conch plant shell. a tree. I mean, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I'm saying? Well, yeah. While you've been talking, they've planted 200 trees. Is that right? <laughs> so people are using the, pro- the browser. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. There are going to be trees everywhere. Keep talking. There are going to be trees everywhere. <laughs> when, when are you going to change over? I mean, is this like, oh, this interests you, right? As, as soon as we hit stop here. I'm going to. So again, I'm, I'm not. I'm just going to uh, search random things. Just to, I'm, just keep I'm it not going. promoting it one way or the other. I'm just saying I listened yeah, to this, yeah. this business podcast yeah. and he was a guest on it. And I was intrigued by well, the change of, of culture, the change of what he what what he's doing in his own life, like in terms of travel and. and yeah. And now, then he talked about his website, what they're trying to do through the browser. It's a, it's not third party functioning, but we're planting trees and yeah. Wow. Hey, fantastic! There you go. What's the name of that again? Um, Ecosia. E- yeah, E C O S I A. E C O S I. Just if you look up like the Com- Carbon Almanac. Okay. Is also is the book that's that's coming out wow. with it too. Wow. Well, so interesting. very interesting. I'll learn something. Yeah. There you go. There you go. It's what I bring a, to the table. A fountain of wisdom and insight. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Just, Trying to broaden the horizons before we get deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Uh, that's, that's, the thing, that's the thing about this podcast. Like, I mean, yes. the people that we have on, if I don't go light early, I, I, I got to work through the issues that are getting ready to happen. Yeah. So, no. Got to have a little fun with it. That's good. That's good. Yep. You gave our secrets away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right well, let's uh, dive yeah. in today. Yes, we are please. excited about our conversation uh, today. We uh, welcome Michael McKenzie to the podcast. Michael is the author of the book, Don't Blow Up Your Ministry. Michael and his wife, Carrie, have both specialized in counseling for Christian leaders for 20 years and has served in uh, therapy for over 27 years uh, with Christian leaders, not only nationally, but in an international realm as well. Uh, Michael received his master's and doctorate in counseling from Lincoln Christian Seminary. And along with his wife, they have led the Marble Retreat Center in Marble, Colorado, where they specialize in helping pastors, missionaries, and Christian leaders through counseling and hospitality. So, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, glad glad to have you here and look forward to the uh, conversation. So as we begin that conversation a little bit, share with us your story uh, with our listeners of, of your journey. Sure. Yeah, you did a great job of capturing the professional side of it. I'll add a couple of pieces. You know, I grew up in eastern Canada. I was in church from conception on three times a week. And, you know, began to see just through being friends with the pastor's son and being at their home, just the challenge of being in ministry. And then my older brother went into church planning, saw that, you know, just the challenge of it and began to grow a heart for serving folks in ministry. So then when I was led to get my master's in counseling, was wondering where I should focus and um, happened to to meet my wife. And we both had the same passion to, to care for folks 
who are pastors or missionaries or serving God in a full-time capacity in some way. And so that's what we've been doing, you know, um, and then with, with Marvel Retreat being the most recent place, recent meaning the last, you know, 15, 17 years we've been up there with Marvel. So it's been great. So tell us a little bit about Marble Retreat. Um, it's it's a brief history of it there and its, and, and its function and kind of your role there now. Yeah, Marble Retreat started in 1974, and it was actually a psychiatrist at the Mayo Clinic was seeing a lot of pastors showing up at the Mayo Clinic with what we call psychosomatic issues. What those are are physical issues, but there's no physical cause for them. There's a, if you want to call it an emotional cause. And so they would show up at the Mayo Clinic, get the full workup, find nothing wrong with them. It doesn't mean their symptoms weren't real, GI, migraines, you name it. But then they would bump them over to psych saying there's nothing physically wrong with them. And Dr. Lewis McBurney was working in the, in the, in the counseling psychology department there at Mayo And he's like, why is there so many pastors showing up here with unresolved, basically stress-related issues? And finally, their bodies would cry out and say, not doing this anymore. You can't do life this way anymore. This was the 70s. There was like no place to go, especially in the evangelical world um, at that point. So he started, he and his wife, Melissa, started Marble Retreat in 1974 as what we call an intensive counseling center, meaning uh, of group of counseling hours over right now it's eight days instead of doing the one hour a week kind of traditional model counseling people come to our lodge and they stay for eight days and get a lot of counseling in those eight days and so we've been doing that year round ever since 1974 and don't have an exact count but about five thousand christian leaders have come through our door since then Mm -hmm. so with that degree i'm just curious just about as a child or as a teenager early adult were you always intrigued with how the human body functions in the mind and the emotion or feelings that go with that? Or was it an experience that you said through this, I want to live this out? Yeah. You know, at some point in time I did get, you know, it was probably young adulthood. I took, you know, as a lot of people do, I took psychology classes when I got a business degree, actually, because it just seemed like an interesting elective to take. And I thought this is interesting, just studying how people think, why people are the way they are, why we do what we do, all that kind of stuff, just greater understanding. But then I began to to grow a particular passion for, you know, working in this area. So the, the two kind of came together, meaning my love for pastors. You know, I was greatly influenced by a pastor growing up in my life. And, you know, and then my counseling kind of career, so to speak, began to mesh with that passion of caring for, for Christian leaders. So probably young adulthood, it began to kind of take form, but I didn't know where that was going to go at that point in time until God began to open the doors. Yeah. I remember my psychology class in college, Dr. Gosnell, uh, about halfway through the semester, my sophomore year, I just, he was extremely hard. Uh, nobody got above a, a C. And I remember just halfway through the semester, I went up and I said, Dr. Gosnell, I just need you to know I, I, I'm not cut out for your class. <laughs> it's, it, it's not. I, I think I'm going to need to, I'm going to have to come back my junior yeah, year. Yeah. And it's he, not you, it's me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I owned yeah. it, right? And yeah. he, I mean, he, he scalded me, you know, for it. But I'm proud to say that I graduated with, with the John Gosnell Award hmm. for Social Sciences was mm. given to me my, my senior year. Well, see. Um, and I'm still as confused as ever of who I am. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. I, got the, I got the award, though. <laughs> yeah. Maybe because I manned up to him, you know? That's right. Hey. So, That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. Well, good. Well, let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, your book, uh, Don't Blow Up Your Ministry, which is a, uh, it is a firecracker storm going on. 
and that's mm-hmm. kind of what's on here. But it's diffusing the underlying issues that take pastors down. Can can you tell us uh, how that book came about? Yeah, you know, I think the most painful aspect of my job is is you know working with pastors who it's after they have blown it up. It's after the train wreck. And they just lament and weep deeply of what's happened and how did this happen? You know, when they walk in our doors at Marble Retreat, it's why, you know, no pastor got into ministry anticipating, expecting or wanting to blow up their ministry and maybe their marriage in the process. So it was just a deep grief of, of sitting with with folks who are good folks Yet there was an area of brokenness in their life that I believe Satan got in the mix of and then the stresses of ministry and other factors, and it just created the perfect storm. So then, you know, I was just desiring, hey, can I write something that's a warning, but also hope filled, meaning, hey, you know, we need to be on our toes because this can happen because every pastor I worked with thought this will not happen to me when they came out of seminary, when they got their first ministry, they knew of other pastors, but it was always other pastors And then they're sitting in front of me saying, how did this happen? So it was out of that grief in one sense, but then a passion desire, like, hey, if I can help one pastor see this coming and maybe head it off, that would be just worth it, you know, to do this. Yeah. This question just kind of hit me. How how do you as a counselor um, listen to that, hear those stories, and yet, I don't know if protect is the right word, but how do you care for yourself as you've experienced the hurt of the the stories that come through? You know, it's a process. You know, I've been account- doing this counseling thing for 25 years, and I think you learn, you know, early on, and I even mentioned in my book, I didn't do a great job of disconnecting or whatever you want to say from the stories I was hearing. And that definitely can be a fast train to burnout. And, you know, but over time, you know, one, there is, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm over-spiritualizing because I get I get on top of people for doing that. But, you know, one is a theological perspective of, you know, ultimately, these are God's people. God cares for them. I have a role, but I can walk out and say, I did my role today. I can go to sleep tonight and, and try not to carry them on my shoulders. Like it has to be Mike that fixes them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a difficult dance because you want to do everything you can, you know, you feel empathy, compassion, but you really have to learn a process of putting them back in God's hands. And my wife and I have learned different ways of doing that after we leave the workplace, the counseling office of like, you know, they're in God's hands now. And God is obviously a better counselor than we are. And he cares for, cares for them more deeply. And then two, you have to burn off the, the stress and all that angst that you are feeling. Cause when you're listening to stories all day, you're not an unbiased observer. You do get affected by it. And so, you know, lots of just healthy things from, you know, exercise. There was a walk, a trail that was up above our house in Colorado. So after a day of counseling, we walked that pretty much every evening. And that was our time to pray and our time to talk, our time to exercise, our time to breathe fresh air. And so you have to have those things. And then, you know, of course, community is helpful. And then a hobby, you know, I, because I grew up Canadian, of course, I played ice hockey. So that was a time to hang with the guys. It was time to burn off stress. So just having a very, a variety of things that would help me to, in a sense, stay healthy. But part of it was just having the proper perspective on my role in these, in these people's lives and stories. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're all in ministry here and have a minimum of 20 years in ministry. Um at the table, individually. You, how many do you have? A few. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've got— As the old man at the table, right? I think yeah, it's 23. So, how many yeah. do you have? Yeah. 
20, 20 some. Count. Yeah, count, so, so we're all here. And we also know right now reality is 33% of uh, pastors and, and leaders are walking out of this. And I don't think it would be – we couldn't sit here and say we haven't thought about that ourselves over 20-plus years of, mm-hmm. of ministry at, at times and, and wrestling with those things. Why, why is ministry an occupation that – affects the health so bad, affects the mental so bad? Why is it Why is it a dangerous occupation, if you will? Yeah, I think there's several factors. Again, you're going to get a counselor's angle on this, you know, so take that with, with in a sense of grain of salt, meaning, you know, that's this is what I see, and this is in, in the clientele I work with, with the pastors I work with. But one is, as we all know this, is the um, kind of the unnatural and maybe somewhat unsafe context that a pastor can have to be truly open and vulnerable and and broken is the term I often use in the book. And what I mean by that is we all, you know, there's been a desire for vulnerability from the pulpit, vulnerability from our leaders, but we also know that there's a line there that we cannot cross or we're in danger. It depends on your church and your culture and you know, lots of factors of where that line is and what topic it is. And, but we all know there's certain things if we say that we're really feeling or wrestling with or thinking or believing whatever area that may be in, we could find ourselves in trouble. And so a lot of pastors, you know, live under that too. I do believe that, that, that there is an evil one who wants to take out pastors. And I think he's going to aim right at whatever broken area, weak area we have in our life. And so I think you know, the, the pressure of expectations of ministry, I think sometimes it's not always true, but sometimes the inability to be, to, to inability, to be inability to be truly real and vulnerable and then mix in Satan in the mix. And I think those three things can come together. And because, you know, most pastors, when they do blow up, there is a part of their life that is a lie that nobody knows about. And how did they keep that part of their life alive? And why did they keep it alive? Well, if anybody knows, it's over. You know, it's over. And part of that is selfishness. I want to keep this part of my life going. And part of it is fear. If I come out about this, even though I need help, if I come out about it, it's over now. So I need to keep hiding it, which unfortunately feeds it. Because it's not safe to come out and say, I'm struggling with this, I'm thinking this. So I think those are some of the factors that can make ministry a difficult, you know, occupation. You know, I, I, my, my aunt was a bus driver in Toronto. And one time I was going through Toronto on my way home. And she's like, why, why do pastors need a place to go to? Bus drivers don't need a place to go. And it's a stressful <laughs> job to be a bus driver in Toronto. And she was a great bus driver. And I said, what do you do after work? She goes, well, we go down to the local bar and we hang out as bus drivers and we lament about our day. And I'm not advocating that, that pastors should go to the local bar and hang out. What I'm advocating is she had a natural venue every day to debrief and to talk about the frustrations of the day, to glean from other bus drivers, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of pastors don't have that. Yeah. It is interesting that uh, ministry is, I mean, a lot of it and a lot of the reason people are in it, you can walk with other people as they're, as God's leading them through their brokenness. And, you know, it's very other focused um, mm-hmm. And you said earlier about, you know, you, you encounter pastors who haven't taken time to look at their own life and where are their broken places and and uh, and why and how do you work through that? Because as you jump into it, I mean, you're 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 helping to guide and, and lead and shepherd other people uh, and they're coming to you with saying, hey, I recognize these broken places, you know, and um, and how that 
can either uh, give you um, the cover that you need not to deal with with what's happening inside, um, or you just you're just spending yourself on others um, and not uh, not addressing where God's at work in your life. Yeah, I think there's a natural wiring, and especially in us men, to be so focused on doing. I know personally, you know, here I am. I'm a touchy feely counselor, so to speak. I wake up in the morning, and the first question is, "What do I need to do today?" One of my first acts is to look at my calendar. What's on the calendar today? I don't wake up and say, how am I doing today? You know, that's not what, what I think. I think about what do I need to do today? And I think that can even get cranked up a few notches in leadership. And that comes from a good place in our hearts. We want to serve. We want to be all in. We want to serve God with our best. We want to serve the church. But what can get missed is that the whole time there's something lurking in our own within ourselves that we're not even noticing, you know, many pastors that I work with are caught off guard that they didn't see it coming when there was lots of red flags potentially along the way. Yeah. And it's interesting with using that illustration of your aunt who was a bus driver and having that place after the day to go and debrief and unwind. You know, I think that's part of the challenge is as those in ministry, you don't necessarily you don't have that space. I mean, it is a it is a lonely world. It's a lonely existence. And even if you are a loner, even if you um, are perfectly content on the back row engaging with no one, but at the same time, you may be a very um, uh, kind of a, a people type of person as well. But that struggle is that there's just not a place per se to have that conversation or to unwind. and. That's a that's a tough place to be. And I think when we do have that conversation with somebody, uh, after we have it, we walk away and think, I just sounded silly. Or I shouldn't have said something. Yeah, <laughs> why did I say that? I mean, that's a yeah. that's a real thing, right? So yeah. how how, do, how does how does one deal with that? How, how do you avoid yeah. that loneliness? Yeah, with the loneliness or the sharing vulnerability. Both. Both. <laughs> Both. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We, we have all the time in the world. Okay, sure. oh, did I just ask that? <laughs> the meter's running. The meter's yeah, running. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think they go hand in hand in a sense that, yeah, as we all have said, it's kind of it's kind of interesting that pastors struggle a lot with loneliness when we are in a people profession. And and again, we 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 kind of know a lot of the reasons why. And one of them is is, is that we are not fully vulnerable or real with a lot of folks, we are kind of guarding our words. And sometimes we're doing that because we have an agenda, even if it's a good agenda, meaning we're talking about a program or a direction or whatever. We're not talking about ourselves and we don't want to talk about ourselves. We want to talk about what's happening and, and where we're moving, you know, the church or whatever the, the topic may be, you know, but not having that vulnerability, you do at some level experience. I'm not fully known. And if I was fully known, would I be rejected? And But there's a tendency in us, especially as leaders, to not like vulnerability. You know, when we, we used to do a lot of group counseling, you know, at Marble Retreat, we've shifted our model since COVID. But, and it was interesting because I saw this quote, Brene Brown wrote a quote, something to this effect. When somebody else is vulnerable, we say, how courageous. When we are vulnerable ourselves, we say, how pathetic. Mm. And, and there's a lot of truth in that, that 
what you were just saying, like when we share something vulnerable, we're like, ah, oh, I can't believe I just did that. That sounded weak. That sounded pathetic. But when we do, somebody else does it, like in the group room, somebody would get really vulnerable and broken and everybody else in the room would be like, good job. Thanks for sharing that. It was so meaningful. But when they did it themselves, they would immediately shame themselves with, oh, that was pathetic. You know, how can you guys even respect me as a leader now after you just saw that and heard that, you know? And it's, and it's really kind of an interesting thing that we've set up that a leader only looks and sounds confident, strong, has the answers, all that. Now, we, we speak a lot to, no, that's not true, vulnerability, realness, authenticity. But yet, I think a lot of us still find ourselves caught in that the expectations of those we serve, that this is what they want me to look like and sound like. And I buy into it myself because I want to sound like I have all the answers. I mean, I want to come on here today and have all the answers, you know, on this podcast. I don't want to come here and say, I have no idea what I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> which, which is partially true, you know. It's, A lot of that is that imposter syndrome we have, too. Yeah. Right? Uh, we yeah, feel like imposters yeah. at time. But, yeah, you know. for yeah. sure. For sure, because we know, but it, but it goes back to God's grace. I mean, just mm-hmm. the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing is not because Mike is gifted, Mike is smart, Mike is intelligent, Mike's a hard worker. It's the gift of God, and you know, in my life that I get to do what I'm doing, you know, and and you know, yet that doesn't instill a personal confidence in a sense. It's a God-given confidence, but we still gravitate towards. I want to feel good about me. Let me be, get good at something so I can feel good about me, mm. and that can be that can be ministry. Mm. You talk a, a fair amount in terms of, of brokenness and 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 the idea of <clears throat> what that is um, and how we work with that. Um, there may be I, I've been reading some Dallas Willard stuff, you know, <laughs> and not not uncommon around here. But uh, from the standpoint of just his conversation, just a short clip on on brokenness and uh, the broken places in life, but. Um, that's a real area that has to be dealt with. So, I mean, what is that? Can you define it for us in a sense from your perspective? And then how do you, how do you begin the process of exploring that and working in that? Yeah. You know, I think the way I was using it, especially in the book is kind of the idea of that there's damage in some area in us, in our hearts, our souls, our minds, our emotions, our, then it flows into our relationships, our reactions, all those behaviors, but damage and maybe even potentially weakness, trying to separate it out from sin. So, you know, a a great example is if we've been abused, you know, in our life, that there's damage left wasn't our fault. We didn't choose it. It may have been somebody else's sin, you know, but we have experienced that and it's damaged us. And we often are not aware of that or we are not aware to the degree to which it is affecting how we do life, how we do ministry, how we do relationships and our behaviors. And so I think, you know, a great first step is being aware of what that is. Um, You know, I think in my book, I've mentioned having many pastors confess to some type of fairly extreme abuse they experienced as a child, yet believed it hasn't affected me because of two reasons. I've forgiven it and I don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Yet it's written all over their life how it's affecting them mm-hmm. from the way they do relationships with congregants to the way they do relationship with their spouse and these other behaviors that end up bringing them to Marvel Retreat. And they're like, why am I, why do I act this way? Why am I so rigid on my boundaries? Or why do I have no boundaries? And that can stem back to an abusive 
experience that I didn't learn what healthy, proper boundaries are, that I can say no when somebody's crossing a personal boundary of mine, you know? And so I think one is, is recognizing what is my brokenness? And then two, to what degree is this brokenness affecting me? And then three, what is the appropriate intervention for this brokenness? Mm. We do tend to over-spiritualize when we're in ministry because we're thinking in that world all the time. But sometimes we can be chasing the wrong intervention for the issue that we had. An example of this, early on in my time at Marble Retreat, we had a medical missionary coming who wasn't sleeping. He was in a, an incredibly high, in a high-stress situation way more needs than he could meet, didn't often have the materials he needed to repair kids with broken legs, all this stuff. He was a surgeon who went on the field. He wasn't sleeping. So it was easy for me as a counselor to put him in the box of this is stress. He's not able to separate out what he's what he what he's should be doing to what he can do, all that kind of stuff. So he's, you know, and that's what I was thinking. Well, in his intake, I learned that right around the time that this sleep disorder started, he fell off of his motorbike and hit the back of his head. Hmm. So in the time between him signing up to come to Marble and coming to Marble, he went, had a brain scan and it was shown that he had a, a, he had a damage in the area of his brain that controls sleeping. And so what he needed was a totally different intervention than what I was going to provide, you know, yet he got help. He still came and he worked through some stuff with Marble Retreat. But what I learned in that moment was that sometimes we're pursuing the wrong answer mm. for what our brokenness is or the wrong wow. intervention. So what is my brokenness? How deeply is it, is it affecting me? What is the right intervention for it? Because there's a variety of interventions that could be the most effective intervention. Do you, do you find that it's difficult to even identify what the brokenness is? Um and so, they, I mean, you think about chasing certain things. I mean, it's just, that's the, that's interesting. Because um, mm-hmm. I can see that that's a, we can think it's one thing and it's actually something else altogether. And then we've been pursuing the wrong thing all along. And part of that is having somebody else speak into your life, not being in this, you know, uh, isolated silo of life. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's difficult, you know, and I think, you know, that is why it's helpful to have outside eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, I have I have thought that one of the more difficult parts of my role would be letting someone know in this situation, some time of pastors, letting a pastor know of a potential diagnosis they have of a mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they're relieved when I tell them because they have been shaming themselves about their behavior or their thoughts or their struggles. So let's say they have depression, you know, major depression, not just situational, but major depression. They have struggled to have the energy, enthusiasm, passion that they think they should have or that pastor so-and-so has, and they've turned it into a faith thing. If I had more faith, you know, if I, I would just be more passionate on fire, then they find out they have a major depressive disorder, which is not the full cause. I mean, there's other pieces at play as well. But it's a large piece of the cause, I would argue, in why they're struggling the way they are. And when I tell them that, hey, you need to look at this, looking at your life history, looking at your response, sitting in a room with you for eight days, I'd say you're depressed. You're clinically depressed. And they actually are like relieved because it can take (laughs) away the shaming element and open up some interventions that could be helpful to them. Yeah, I like the uh, diagram in the book in terms of the the plant inside the pot. 
that mm-hmm. you know it's it's present the presenting problem is there. You start realizing, oh, there's some self awareness of what's going on, mm-hmm. and but then if you, you you start looking at the underlying causes, yeah, what are the identity issues or the core fears that are there? Then you talk about the driving motivation. Can, can you just briefly chat on those areas and how is that how is that useful in determining the fear based issues or the shame issues or how would one look at that diagram and kind of work through that. Sure. Yeah. I tried to make it, you know, as simple as I could kind of the age old iceberg model, which traditionally has like 10 levels or kind of things. I kind of boiled it down. And one way that we can begin to get a clue is what are the surface behaviors or feelings that I am not liking or not don't think are appropriate or good or healthy or right. And that's what, you know, people call us about, you know, like this is happening in my life. This is how I'm feeling. I need to get it fixed. What's going on there? Then often, you know, the next layer down is kind of a, you know, like I called in there, you know, the kind of the motivating factors, kind of like a, a lifestyle that fuels that. And I often turn a couple of times, I've used the example in the book of perfectionism, meaning, okay, on the surface, I'm stressed, I'm exhausted, I'm wore out, I'm having conflict with staff and with family Okay, that's this got to change, you know, because I just can't keep going this way. I got to change them. But underneath that is like, oh, you know, I am doing this because I have learned that through if I perform perfectly, I hope that I will attain security and um, success and whatever else my heart is chasing. Then go down another layer, like, well, well, but why do I need that? What's going on in my identity, my soul? You know, so what what is the question mark that I have that I don't feel good enough? I don't feel lovable, respectable. And so now I have created somewhere along the way, if I perform, I will feel good enough is the fantasy or the what Satan has sold us. But then on the top, there's all these negative repercussions of that. So I think we can we can look. But often, again, I think it's needed or helpful to have an outside observer. We can look at, okay, what are the the symptoms, you know, and if I trace those back, where are they coming from? You know, in that model, I didn't capture the physical one, which I just gave an example, you know, of the guy with the the head injury, you know, and sometimes there is a physical cause to some of the symptoms. And the good thing of that is typically there's a more direct intervention for those, you know, physical things. And so, but I think often, you know, the pastors I work with, the piece that gets missed is what is that identity piece that's fueling at least somewhat my drive in ministry? And I'm not saying there isn't good, holy, and right drives as well. There is, in, you know, but in the mix of it is like, I have to perform. I have to be a people pleaser and keep people happy. I have to, because somewhere deep down, it's feeding a part of my own, you know, broken identity that I'm trying to fix still, you know? And so if I'm trying to fix it through, being a people pleaser, avoiding conflict, you name it. There's lots of ways that can play out. And it just kind of, mm-hmm. then it escalates those, those surface level feelings, yes. anxiety, <laughs> fear, whatever they are. It just, it continues to bu- bubble up over that. You know, one thing that, that we try to talk about here within our staff and is just, what is it you, you talk about in the book, but I think the older I get, the more I've learned and more I realize if I don't have that, relationship with God, that communication that is consistent throughout the day. I'm not just talking like just a 30-minute study time in the morning or whenever you do that. I'm I'm talking about uh, the practicing the presence of God in my life 
then I, I recognize, I see, I feel, I experience these things that we're talking about that, that are the brokenness in my life that, that pop back up, right? So can you talk about a little bit about the priority of, of that relationship? Yeah, you know, it can't be overstated how important that is. And it's so ironic for all of us in ministry that we can neglect it in some ways. And, you know, I asked Leighton Ford once, he's the brother-in-law, Billy Graham, of about this, about the relationship with God and prioritizing. What does that look like? And he boils it down to quality time with God. You know, it's it's just having that quality time. But like you said, it doesn't have to be going to a monastery for, you know, three days at a time or whatever. That's great if you can, can do that kind of a thing. You know, but it can be just those moments moments, you know, and, and I catch myself all the time trying to bring something back into the light of my my relationship with God and his word and say, well, Mike, that was just a real selfish decision you just made. Because I took a moment to pause and ask God about it, basically. You know, God, like, how would you see that? And like, oh, that's that's not good. I need to realign there or apologize or whatever. So I think it is that constant. I think, you know, we need those quality time moments of devotion, worship, prayer, you know, but yet we also need to be constantly bringing, you know, um, God into the equation when we make, you know, ministry decisions, when we make um, whatever decisions, you know, it can be, it can get lost in the background that we try to do whatever is most practical or pragmatic, but um you know, we don't realize how much uh, sometimes our own desires and brokenness are getting in the mix and steering our mm-hmm. our decision-making. Yeah, I was having a conversation this morning, and I was thinking about how often uh, spirituality and the practices of it become academic for us as we study, as we give, as, and and we excuse that for the personal growth of it. And I think there is, I think there are two different things. There's the academic of it, but then there has to be the personal of it. And oftentimes maybe what we do in ministry is we, we spend so much time in the scholarship or the academic of it that it's not covering the brokenness or not allowing us to be open, vulnerable and real for our own selves before God. So that we can be that for others. Yeah. I've got pastors in the counseling room taking notes and saying that will preach. <laughs> so, so, they're, so they're, I can't believe that. <laughs> I, so they're there for their own burnout because they've been so focused on doing and not on being and not on being well. And they're in counseling to help with that. And they're repeating the same mistake in the midst of their counseling, meaning just focused on this is good for those people out there, you know, mm. and it might be yet first is good for you right here. Be in the moment, you know, don't, don't immediately shift this into, Oh, this is a great sermon series. I can see it coming already. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. What you just said about being, but being well, and um, which is a whole nother level of the being. Um, So you talk a little bit about confession. Um, What does that look like? What is that? Oh man, you know, that, that is such a sticky wicket for us as Christian leaders. You know, it, it, it is, it, it, it's unfortunately become, you know, I think in the church at whole, a lot of our churches it's become something that's been difficult. We, we see it in scripture. We talk it yet actually having it, you know, to, to me, a key is safety, you know, as, as I've been in church my whole life, many churches and many denominations and, and a lot of churches, you know, I've been to have, you know, prayer time. And mm-hmm. ideally, that should be a, a time also for, you know, confession, meaning it's an open sharing time. Whatever's on your heart, whatever is, 
you're struggling with, you know, let us know. And it always falls in my experience in the category of health and finances. You know, mm-hmm. I need a job. I'm, I'm struggling with this health issue. Rarely does it fall into the area of sin. It was actually here in Florida at a Baptist church. I attended one time on vacation years ago that they did the same. They opened it up and said, Hey, it's prayer time. Anybody can throw it. And a guy said, you know, this week I fell off the wagon and I looked at pornography. And I was like, Whoa, what just happened here? Mm-hmm. I've never heard that in a church. Mm-hmm. And they gathered around him, laid hands on him, prayed for him, encouraged him that he could he could beat this. And it was just a beautiful thing. But he felt safety for whatever was the history of that church. I can talk about this. And so first is safety. We will only confess to the degree that we feel safe if we're aware, you know, of the safety or not, or otherwise it'll blow up on us, you know. But there has to be safety, you know. So within that, there's trust. Like who? So as a Christian leader, you have do have to be wise. And so who can I trust? And then after that becomes authenticity and and honesty about here's what I did, here's what I uh, what I was thinking and feeling. But as well as I think honesty about how it affected you. I find, and I talk about this a little bit in the book briefly, that the sin is part of the issue that we need to confess. But also how it's affected us, meaning what have we done with that sin now? What in what shame-based way have we run with it? Because sometimes that's the bigger issue to be worked through in, in a sense, meaning now I am a bad guy. If you knew this about me, you would say he's not worth being a pastor. And that's what often, you know, pastors will say in the group room after they finally confess. I'll be like, what do you think the people in this room think of you? And they'd be, and they'll often respond. They must be thinking, how can he be a pastor if he did this? And Mm -hmm. that shame that gets in the mix then is sometimes a bigger issue to work through, which actually fuels the sin. Because when you have a shame kind of at work, you feel bad, so to speak, and you look for something to medicate with. And often Satan says, here's something that'll make you feel better temporarily. So so again, confession is so difficult for us as Christian leaders. I, you know, when I was a Christian counselor in private practice, meaning one hour a week, I had pastors who literally hired me to take their confessions because they would walk in and say, now you can't share with anybody, can you? And I'm like, no, I can't. You know, I keep confidentiality. I'm a professional counselor. Then they would share something. And it wasn't big, bad stuff in a sense. Yet they knew if it's not in the right, we'll pay a price for this. And so, you know, I think you need safety, trust, then you need to be open and vulnerable when you have that as the leader. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've been thinking. I know it's wrong, but man, this, this is a struggle for me. And here's how it's affected me, how I think about it, how I, how it's affected me, how I see myself on all those aspects. So you've been at this for a few years, uh, and I'm curious, are you seeing a shift? Are there any changes in in the conversation or the openness to the conversation about these things? Are you seeing more pastors recognizing this in their life and 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 seeking out um, uh, help? And um, I'm just curious uh, wh- where things are at now as compared to where, where they were. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of... I kind of see a couple of opposing forces happening. I think overall there is a greater acceptance, awareness of mental health struggles and getting counseling. I think, you know, we called ourselves Marble Retreat in 74. We did not call ourselves Marble Counseling Center because nobody would have came in 74. (laughs) They would have lost their jobs. And unfortunately, we still have people that happens to them that they they know if people know I'm going to counseling. But it's less 
common. It's there's more acceptance now that a pastor actually can get up and say, you know, I'm not doing so well. My wife and I are not doing so well. We're going to go to Marble Retreat for counseling. And, and so I see an acceptance. Now, here's the counter I'm seeing to that comes back to social media. It's so interesting to me that we have a lot of pastors who call and they're really concerned about, will anything ever make it to social media about my time there? You know, and I can reassure them, no, you know, we're, it's all confidential. You know, we all have, you know, that is part of our being counselors. You know, we're in this very remote place. You're not going to see anybody, you know, because we're up in the middle of the mountains, that kind of stuff. But they're very concerned because they have seen lives get destroyed by something that got out and got misrepresented or whatever. And so it's been interesting to me that there's this growing openness to counseling, growing openness to being real about your struggles. I think that's great. But I've seen a bit of a counter swing a little bit recently in the last couple of years of I'm so fearful of coming out about what I'm struggling with because I've seen others just get chewed up in the process. And, and so I don't know how that's all going to play out. You know, I hope overall that the, that the growing openness to saying I need help and that there is help out there will win. But I do see a bit of a swing the other way because of the fear of the, of exposure. Wow. That's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah, there's, there's a lot of conversation that certainly could keep going in this time. What is the hope in this conversation? Because the numbers, there's stats, there's data, you're seeing the people you've been seeing them, you know, the marble retreat has been seen it since the seventies. It's real. It's happening. Um, what's, what's the hope in this conversation for, for leaders? Yeah. You know, ultimately it's God is a redemptive God and he takes our pain trials and struggles. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. And, and, you know, to make that really clear and practical, things can get better and things will get better. You know, whatever you're struggling with, whether it's pressure, stress, expectations, depression, anxiety, things can always get better. It's finding that right intervention whether that right intervention is community, whether it's sorting out, you know, improper thinking in my own head, I'm believing lies, whether it's working through shame, whether it's a medical intervention, you know, I, what I encourage pastors is don't take anything off the table. That could be a legit intervention. Often we, again, we can put the intervention into one category. It has to look like this. It has to sound like this. And I'm like, you know, Hey, you know, if there's a medication that could help you, don't take that off the table. You know, I think that's there for a reason. Um, so all I have to say is, you know, the, the big hope is that God has a plan, that this is going to be a season and that you will grow through this and that there will be redemption. That doesn't mean it's going to be you're going to get to a point of having a carefree life and it's all going to live happily ever after. No, this life has struggle and, and that's clear in scripture. We're going to struggle. But if you're really in the midst of a tough struggle, you're like, I just don't know how I can keep going it will get better. You know, depression typically always gets better, but especially with intervention, mm. it gets better. You know, anxiety can get better. And I've worked with so many pastors who now that is even a part of their platform is the key struggle that they had. And they have seen how God has flipped it on its head to now be an area of strength for them instead of an area of weakness. And they are just so grateful for weathering the storm and God bringing the age old beauty from ashes and dancing from morning. And so hang in there and ask for help. I mean, I'm biased, but there are folks like myself out there 
who we really can help, you know, it, 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 I can, you know, sit with a, with a pastor who's, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know what's going on. And we can sort through it and we will land on specific reasons of what's going on. And then there are interventions available. And, and so there's always hope. And again, I believe God is behind all of that and his redemptive purposes. So how do people best connect with you? Um, you know, marbleretreat.org is a great way through our website. You know, we, of course, our phone number is on there. You can call into the office, you know, links to, to, to my book and other things are on the Marble Retreat website. You know, that's my main, I'm the executive director there now. You know, I was the counselor there for 10, 15 years or something. My wife and I took over as directors in 2013 um, we were still the counselors as well until this past year. We transitioned roles a little bit. I'm still doing some of the counseling, but my my main role now is being the director and promoting fundraising, all those kinds of things. So, but yeah, you can reach me through marbleretreat.org. Good. And finally, one important question. We are in the middle of the uh, Stanley Cup finals, and there's two teams that I'm curious about because I think you've had some time in Florida. Uh, are, you, are you going with the Colorado Avalanche or are you hanging on to the Tampa Bay Lightning? Oh, man, you know, Colorado for over 20 years. I've been in Florida for one. So, yeah. Go Avalanche. Yeah, gotta go with, yeah I've got to go with the Avalanche, you know. Got to go with the Avalanche. Plus, they're up three to one. Yeah. It should be a done deal now. Yeah. You know, so. Yep. 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 Well, Cheer best avalanche. wishes to that. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I'm with you on that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they're a great team. Well, good. Uh, well, yeah. uh, thanks so much for being on the yeah. podcast with us today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Oh, thank you, guys. Great to be on yep. here. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the Reimagine Podcast. As always, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast. Download any of the episodes and rate them. Check us out on the ReimagineCast.com website. For Brad and Brian, I'm Greg. Thanks for listening to the Reimagine Podcast. Mm-hmm.